0: Interior Motives is a podcast that amplifies the unique voices and interior lives of Black and brown people from various industries, backgrounds, and walks of life. Visionaries who have overcome adversities and are doing extraordinary things in the world and in their communities, yet like you and me, reflect the complexities of the human condition. Hello beautiful people, this is Shaylin Foster and welcome to another episode of Interior Motives. Today's conversation is with psychotherapist Nick Hardy who will share his insights and gems on black men navigating midlife transitions. You don't wanna miss it, so take a moment, relax, grab a cup of coffee or some tea and let's talk. Nicholas Hardy is a psychotherapist in Houston, Texas. He runs a private counseling practice where he helps adults, individuals, and couples improve their relationships and grow as individuals. His authenticity and relatability have allowed him to work with people from all walks of life. His work has been featured in Cosmopolitan, on NBC, Healthline, Psych Central, Ask Men, Bustle, Fatherly, and many other national publications. He has been married for six years to his beautiful wife, and they have a beautiful four year old daughter named Brooklyn. so without further ado, please welcome Mr. Nick Hardy. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm doing well. I am super happy to have you join me on interior Motors podcast today.
1: absolutely same here. I literally just got off the road. We were flew in from Memphis um
0: yeah, busy. How's the family? Doing
1: good. Doing good. You know, that's where we're from. So, you know, got a chance to spend some time with um you know my mom and kind of some of the in-laws. So that's
0: good. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm happy to have you join me and uh talk about such a important topic, one that we don't talk about much, <laughs> if at all.
1: <laughs> For real. <laughs>
0: So I, you know, I'm, hope, I'm hoping you're, you're ready to be a truth teller and just lay it on the table. How has this past year been? It's been crazy. We've been dealing with a pandemic, a lot of civil unrest in terms of the social landscape. I mean, there's just been a lot of collective trauma and grief. And so how has that impacted you, your family, as well as your practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for me, I think one of the things that's been different about this year is you're, you know, I've been helping clients as I also go through the same thing, you know, and Mm -hmm. so many of their struggles when they talk about some of the isolation and, you know, the loss. I mean, I'm also in the process of dealing with that as well, too. And so I think that's created somewhat of a unique situation in many ways it's created more of a connection, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not you going through this and I'm going through this, but it's it's more so like we're in this together and we're kind of navigating it. But in terms of me and my family, we've been extremely fortunate. I mean, again, you know, still been able to maintain work uh, health wise, you know, no one in my immediate family, you know, passed away or anything like that. So again, just just extremely fortunate. But, you know, there is that 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 point where it's like, OK, <laughs> kind of ready to get back to normal. So. Uh, first, I thought it was going to be three months and then six months. And then here it is, you know, over a year later, we're just now starting to see some some changes. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I like what you you said about just that parallel process of experiencing things as your clients are experiencing it, you know, Absolutely. I think that sometimes as therapists, we don't necessarily like to amplify that part of but the reality of is, you know, we're humans and we experience loss and disappointment and setbacks in the same same way. In the same manner that mm-hmm. our clients do. We may process it differently, but it's the experience is is really the same yeah. in a lot of ways. It is. So Yeah, yeah. So what kind of calls have you received? I would imagine that your practice has grown Mm -hmm. over the pandemic.
1: It it has. Uh, Well, in in some ways, right? So it has grown, but then a lot of people have been without jobs. And so that's Mm -hmm. obviously kind of taken away a little bit. But, But overall, it has. And I really think not so much just the pandemic, but what the pandemic has done is it's caused us to slow down. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously mental health over the past, I would say two to three years, but it feels like even more so now the stigma of it has has gone away to some extent. I mean, it's not going not say gone away. It's it's not as stigmatizing. Let me say that. Mm -hmm. And so people are, are, are more open to it. You have people, you know, public figures coming out, really discussing their their bouts with certain, you know, mental health concerns and so people have have really gravitated towards the idea of reaching out for help. You know, I think if yeah. I were doing this 15 years ago, it would be a completely different landscape. Um yeah. but 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 now not as much. And and so yeah, just this past year, I mean, there's definitely been an increase uh in people reaching out for help uh individually and within their relationships, you know. I mean, it, there's no secret. You you spend all day with someone you know, it's either gonna <laughs> it's either gonna go really good or really bad,
0: and <laughs> every place in between. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting. Um, I, I would agree definitely. This these past several years has really been, you know, what we are experiencing as a revolution as it relates to mental health. Mm-hmm. And and interesting enough, there's there's certain stereotypes. It's not as as you said. It's, you know, the stigma, we're losing some of the stigma or it's decreasing, but also our expansion of what mental health looks like, what depression looks like. It's more nuanced. It's more individual. It's not cookie cutter. It was interesting because I was listening to a podcast and it was actually Trevor Noah. And he talks, he's talked pretty openly about experiencing trauma and, and loss, but he also talks about you know his struggle with depression mm-hmm. and he talks about how he's depressed but he's still hopeful mm-hmm. you know or he's depressed and he's still optimistic mm-hmm. and i think a lot of folks particularly men black men may fall into that that sphere of just how they view it mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Even. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Yeah. You
1: know, I, I think, well, depression has been around for, for quite some time. Right. This isn't a, mm-hmm. a new phenomenon, but I just right. think now we're becoming more aware of it. Uh, but for me, and I think in and, and there, there's this idea like you you, you got to keep going. You, I mean, you got you got to keep, you know, pushing through, you know, hey, take care of your business. And, and that's true. But that doesn't mean that you can't be depressed in the process you know, mm-hmm. and it looks different for different people. Some people, you know, they just it, it may show up in excessive drinking. Some people, mm-hmm. it may just, you know, be a little isolation. But each of these, I think that and I think this is where it gets a little tricky is face value. You know, if someone just goes grabs a drink, it's it's not, you know, nothing's wrong with that. But you may not realize that they may be masking something that's, you know, underneath or you know someone may say, hey, I'm just kind of a loner. But in reality, they they really may be socially isolating themselves from other people. You know, and I think just the compound effect over time, you know, with men, you know, we see it just in some of the statistics as it relates to physical health and life, you know, how long men live in comparison to, you know, say women. And I think a lot of it has to do with just that depression and a lot of the unresolved issues that we carry
0: inside. Mhm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, before we get into this a little bit more, talk to me about your own upbringing and family background and just the values that really have informed how you move in the world and the man that you become. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So so here's the it's it's weird because my mom is actually a licensed therapist. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But we never talked about mental health. <laughs> It, You're kidding. Yeah, never, You're never kidding. talked about it. In fact, I didn't even realize she was a therapist until after I graduated from college. And wow. I was working at an organization. I asked her to send me an email for something, and I saw her credentials. And I don't I don't know if I was just so wrapped up in being a teenager or what, but I never made the connection. But I think it really does speak volumes to just our perception of mental health because here it is. I'm living wow. in the home with a therapist, but still. Mental health was something we never talked about, you know.
0: Oh, that is just amazing.
1: And if if I came to my mom and said, hey, I'm depressed, I mean, I'm pretty sure it would have freaked her out. <laughs> so, you know, it, even when it's something you do as a profession, I think we've, um, we, we disassociated when it comes to our personal lives. Mm-hmm. But in terms of some of the core values, just for me growing up, um, again, parents separated when I was seven years old. Uh, both kind of just, you know, working class, hard work, uh, strong sense of faith, you know, um, and just kind of some of the basic tenets, right. You know, just integrity, uh, modesty was, was real big. You know, we were real big on just, Hey, stay in your lane, <laughs> you know, do, do you, you know, my dad literally, he used to have a, just to let you know how serious it was. He used to have a license plate on the front of his car that said, you be you, uh, so so i mean that was really ingrained and in just like hey you be you you know regardless of what that is you know kind of have a, your own sense of identity uh, mm-hmm. but but with the separation you know you know there comes a lot with that uh you know my dad also struggled with alcohol uh so there was a lot of you know just kind of trauma related to that a lot of fighting a lot of inconsistencies uh, but they, you know, st- he still maintained, you know, employment, still worked, and still was involved. You know, it's just the the drinking kind of really,
0: yeah. So when they were living separately or you ha- did you have visitation every weekend or every other weekend or how did that work? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I was I was on that standard every other weekend, Thursday nights uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> during the summer, one month in the summer. And so that was okay, you know. But I I think once I got to about high school, we we really loosened up on that. I still went to go see my dad, but when I had when I was able to drive, just with his drinking and, and everything, I didn't I didn't go over there as much.
0: Okay, okay. What did he? I mean, he said you be you, and obviously when you became a teenager, you were trying to figure out who that who that you was. What else? Do you feel like he imparted to you about what it means to be a black man?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that stands out most is this idea that you have to work twice as hard. You know, it's like, hey, it's not fair. You know, it's not fair. Uh, but and in, instead of saying that, you you kind of combat that by working twice as hard. You know, so if you're going to football practice and it starts at eight, you need to get there at seven. You know, and that literally was was embedded, and and I, I literally held true to that. From sports, I, you know, I fell by the wayside a little bit academically, but still, that idea of going the extra mile b- because things weren't always equitable was ingrained, and so that was his approach to to just everything that you have to experience as a black man is, hey, put in that extra work.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Did your mom was her message pretty consistent with that,
1: yeah. Yeah, she 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 pretty much mirrored that as well. too. And then, you know, I'm from Memphis, so I mean, it's 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 in the south, and so there was a, a bunch Seven of
0: southern church values, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not in California somewhere, and it's just kind of an idea. This is real, right? Real <laughs> Jim Crow South, right? right? Um, but but I'll say this in addition to just that, I mean, there were also certain. Because of our faith, I'll say that because of because of our faith, we we held tight to that. You know, my mom would always say, hey, regardless of what happens, you got to realize God's in control, you know, God's in control. And so not giving too much power to one particular person or race was was important as well, too. Uh, And and obviously, I mean, I experienced everything about racism you know and so but still just holding on to hey just keep putting in the work and then also hey god is ultimately in control really helped me push through a lot of the uh you know experiences where i'm like hey that's <laughs> this is clearly a, a race issue so
0: mm-hmm. what would you say i mean obviously we have very solid memories when it comes to like things that were really transformative or things that stood out that were like defining moments when we were kids, but what were you what would you say was that particular moment when you knew that you were a black boy in America?
1: Mm. Yeah. So the this one I, I was interviewing, I was in college and I interviewed at a commercial real estate firm, won't say the name, but a large commercial real estate firm in Dallas. And I didn't get it. And I was an economics major at the time. And the gentleman I interviewed with said, hey, you know, we really want you to have some more finance experience. And so that summer I uh, I went to several professors at TCU and asked, could I like basically just sit in their class? You know, I'm like, hey, I really want to get into commercial real estate. I interviewed at this company. They said I needed more finance experience at the time. TCU course was like fifteen hundred per course. So I'm like, you know, I just don't have forty five hundred dollars. (laughs) <laughs> you know, just to get finance mm-hmm. experience and they were on board. They let me do it. Uh, so, I mean, I got the books, did the homework. I mean, everything as if I were in the class, I just didn't take it for credit. And that next year I went back to that same real estate company, you know, outlined, Hey, this is what I did. This is what I learned. And I still didn't get it the second time. And that wasn't a race issue if it would have stopped there, but he called me to his office personally after I had interviewed and said, hey, I just wanted to tell you to your face that you were the best candidate. He said, but we, we just couldn't hire you. Mm. And he was and literally verbatim. His words were like, you know, it's just certain things in the world I just wish didn't exist. But it's just the reality of where we are. We can't bring you
0: on. Wow.
1: So that was the first time where I really felt the sting of it being like, whoa, mm. okay, <laughs> this is real. Yeah. Because the gentleman said out of his own, own mouth, hey, no, you were the best candidate. And, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I don't know about you, but if you're the best, I think you should <laughs> you should get the position. Um, yeah. But it was just one of those things.
0: So as a young Black man, that was like a really pivotal moment. Yes. That this whole racism, systematic racism is real. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's real, yeah, wow. absolutely. And I came back that next year too, just so you know, and interviewed for a third time. Um, and I did get it the third year that I interviewed. Um, mm-hmm. And but but again, that just goes back to my upbringing, you know. Like, hey, <laughs> man, guys, ultimately in control. and You just keep working, you know. And, mm. and so and 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 they just they they really did have to respect just my my perseverance, you know. Right. Um, but but you just think like, what if I would have stopped there? It's just yeah. the, oh, you're the best. But, and there's so many other instances. He he could have never called me in. He could have just not given me the position. And I would have, I probably wouldn't have come back that third year.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a sliding door moment where you have to decide, am I going to keep moving forward? Am I in this direction? Or am I going to just count my losses? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, what would you say now you, you're a brother that has um, navigated through or navigate, yeah, actually navigated through this whole mental health space and you decided that you were called to be a therapist. Uh-huh. And so I want to know at what moment um, did you, decide that or was there a defining moment? Were there many small moments? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did that look like for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, there were many small moments. Uh, so the first I would say is actually when I was in college and going back to this commercial real estate thing, when I went home and I looked at my bookshelf, cause I've always loved reading. I mm-hmm. think I had maybe two books on commercial real estate. And then I probably had at that time maybe about 50 or 60 books on mental health.
0: Wow. And I
1: mean, again, it's, it's like five love languages. I mean, it's these classic codependency, you know, I mean, it's all of these books that someone 20 years old probably shouldn't have an interest in unless they were called to do that. Mm -hmm. But there was this underlying fear of just not making enough money, you know, (laughs) to be, to be very honest. Um, You know, obviously I'm a clinical social worker. So me being a social work major, when guys around me,
0: you know, I know, you know, know.
1: (laughs) you know, uh, guys around me are going to, you know, investment banking and, you know, private equity firm. There was a little bit of insecurity at that time that was driving that push to be so diligent in commercial real estate. Right. Because it's like I'm almost I was almost overcompensating in some ways. Uh, right. So that was one defining moment when I just sat there and looked. I'm like, what am I doing? So that was when I moved to Argentina after my undergraduate, after I graduated from undergraduate and, mm-hmm. and really just having an opportunity to not be in the noise of everything. Right. I mean, I'm alone. I'm I'm teaching English. I'm just it's really just me and my thoughts. And mm-hmm. all I could think about was counseling people like I would envision how I would work with people. I would write even then I would write different like oh, this is what happens with this like different scenarios um mm-hmm. and it's like just the writings on the wall, you know, so just when I came back just taking that leap of faith and and started work as a caseworker, and so I haven't looked back since
0: wow, wow, that's incredible. How long were you in Argentina? about six months, about six months, mm-hmm. and so that was kind of a a god experience, yeah, absolutely absolutely, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So in your therapist, you are in private practice. um, And I believe you said that you are 100% virtual. Is that correct? That's correct. Now, that's correct. Okay. Which, you know, in and of itself, that's a a relatively new space. Um, Now, did you make that transition um, during the pandemic or had you always been virtual?
1: During the pandemic, I mean, I was looking at you know different office space and literally right when COVID happened, I, I was like, well, let me just press pause on that for a second. And sure enough, people, I mean, initially there was some some resistance. I had a lot of people reach out, ask me like, well, when are you going back to in person? And I have mm-hmm. plans in 2022 if things stay on this upward track to probably get some office space here in Houston. Um mm-hmm. But but yeah, so it's it's all the pandemic. I had no plans on being a hundred percent virtual.
0: Okay, okay. So, what would you say in terms of your practice, as well as your professional experience? Uh, what are what are some of the most significant issues that Black men are facing? And we're talking between the ages of like late thirties. To late fifties, what are what are black men grappling with mm. in terms of these midlife transitions? Yeah, a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if,
0: Wait, do we have enough time? Yeah, yeah. To if,
1: if a lot was uh, <laughs> you know, so you know, I, I think it's different things, you know, and and I'll I'll break it down in a couple categories. So you have you have one one group of men, and I would say probably early thirties. The biggest thing that I see with them is, is a transition from being single to being in a long-term committed relationship or marriage. Mm. And the reason why is, you know, I always say you don't, you don't realize what you didn't get growing up until you need it. Mm, And so a lot of times for men, especially men who didn't have a father or Mm -hmm. didn't have a good representation of a father, you know, when they kind of cross that 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 bridge from being single to now I'm in this committed marriage relation. They don't know how. And it creates a lot of fear. And there's a lot of trepidation around, like, how, how do I how do I be a good husband? How do I navigate having kids? You know, you know like what? what And, and, and it's this is feeling of just being lost a lot of times. And so I, I see a lot, a lot of men who are in that space, you know, who want to do the right thing, you know, who really want to, you know, be leaders in their home, and you know, really want to just m- everything they didn't have, you know, or what they did have, just and some, but for whatever reason, it's they they, they just need to talk to someone about it, and so that's um that's a big issue. Uh, Another issue is, and I'm going back to relationships, but there's others, but you, you also have another subset of men who are married and who are in these relationships and they don't, they're struggling with like, hey, is this my wife or is this some unresolved issues that I have? And so, you know, relationships are a skill. And if you didn't get the skill, then sometimes you can get in a relationship and in some ways be ill-prepared. And so... There's a large portion of men who are like, "Hey, I just, I just kind of need to work on me, you know, because me and my spouse, you know, we're just, we're just in this cycle, you know, and I don't want to keep putting it on her that, oh, if you did this, oh, if you did that, because she could do all of those things, and still you find this sense of incompleteness, for lack of
0: better terms, right? I, I think a lot of men are asking the question, and women, mm-hmm. you know. Um, is this it?
1: Yeah, and and in in the context of relationships, they often expose some of our blind spots. You know, if I'm selfish, how do I know I'm selfish unless right. I'm in a relationship with someone who says, right. "Man, you selfish." <laughs> you know, right? Uh, and so I think a lot of times those issues get exposed in the context of marriage and those long term relationships. And and men, a, a lot of the men that, that reach out, they don't want to keep going down that same trajectory. Um, so that's a Go ahead.
0: I'm just curious. Do you think that there's a lot of men in particular, Black men in particular, that are afraid to lose their sense of self, their sense of autonomy? And that's what comes up? Because obviously at midlife, I mean, we're talking about folks that are perhaps maybe dealing with kids that are growing up that are getting ready to go to college or leave the nest um, they may be dealing with some job transitions mm-hmm. where they're maybe they're not happy as happy as they thought they were originally on the job and they're ready to do something else or and then maybe perhaps a loss of vitality because you know the reality is aging is real. Yeah, <laughs> No matter how good you look you work out all day long
1: all the time is undefeated
0: so right exactly yeah you could look hollywood good Mm -hmm. but the age is still the age and so do do you think is there's a a, that sense of i just want to be me and what you know what does that me look like now at age 45 Mm -hmm. or 50 yeah
1: so this is this is what i see a lot of times in just in that same vein you know, 20s, 30s, there's this pursuit. It's an, it's this next milestone. You know, once I get here, once I get this promotion, once I get this six figures, once I get here, you know, the family. But then sometimes once you get it, it's not as satisfying as you thought it would be. And so wh- what else? I have a lot of people who are at the pinnacle of their career who reach out for counseling because they say, listen, on paper, I'm killing it. You know, I'm killing it. But what people don't see is I still don't have a strong sense of purpose. I still don't have that strong sense of why outside of my wife and kids or outside of my career. And that is very difficult for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And I could imagine for men, I think for so long, we have just thought, oh, Black men, it's all about provision, being great, having this very fulfilling career. But what you're saying is that you could have those things, but still be grappling with what is my purpose? What is my why? Uh, Why do I not feel this sense of passion about this? As you said, that looks good on paper.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you ask, you get in a regular conversation with a lot of me, and the first thing they'll go to is what they do professionally. Absolutely. Hey, tell me about yourself, and then they go to the job, you know. And so, if that is how you have defined yourself, or you've been applauded, or you know, that's where you you find the most. Fat, outside of that, sometimes it's a blank space, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and and more doesn't always equal more, you know. Mm-hmm. More money doesn't mean that you're going to have more happiness, yeah. <laughs> and so there there's that awakening i think that comes for a lot of men who are mid-stride you know who find themselves still questioning what's next and what's next beyond another professional advancement or title
0: yeah what about in terms of that personal like reckoning with mortality
1: yeah that happens a lot as well too and i think what for for what i see is the roles change so a lot of men now are becoming the caretakers of their parents and it's not so much that their health is failing but now they're seeing people who were strong you know mom who was the rock of the family now you're caring for her or she you're starting to see the gray hair or she's moving slower and just that lets us know that you know hey it's it's real you know, and I think it, it's all connected, right? Because you start seeing your, you start becoming more aware of your own mortality, and then you start saying, "Well, what's next? Like, what have I accomplished?" You yeah. know, again, degrees, money, but like, what? Where's my legacy at?
0: Yeah, I think legacy is huge. It's huge. Yeah, and then also, I would imagine. I mean, obviously, something like a pandemic that we experience collective grief. And there's so many lives that were lost as a result, but also losing family members and, and and folks that are in the same age category. You know, I hear a lot of folks uh, in my age range that talk about loss of like classmates, people yeah. that they thought would probably live forever or at least live a long life just dying suddenly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Life is fragile. Um my, my, my brother is 40 years old and his best friend passed away a year ago, and it wasn't because it was almost two years ago now. It wasn't COVID, re- <coughs> it wasn't COVID related. But again, just seeing someone that you went to elementary school with, same age, young, vibrant, just pass away all of a sudden, it, it definitely puts life into perspective. And obviously with the, you know, fatality rate with COVID, we saw that in large numbers.
0: Yeah. 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 It was it was huge. It was huge. If you if you didn't start thinking about your life and and what's next, you were probably in the small minority.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, okay. let's 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 be real for a moment, because, you know, when we think about midlife crisis and I don't even necessarily like to use the term, I like to call it maybe midlife reflection. Okay. a midlife reckoning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But whatever you call it, there's always been the stereotype of a guy who is middle age and he's driving the red sports car and Mm -hmm. potentially having an affair with his secretary. And I think that having this aesthetic or this, this visual about what midlife stereotypically looks like. Has definitely created a stigma or a just a negative connotation. So I think that there's a lot of people that may be experiencing midlife, and we're talking about men in particular, but they don't necessarily want to own it. They don't necessarily want to call it what it is. They don't necessarily, as Ian would say, call it, they don't want to call a thing a thing. So yeah. how do you as a therapist help? a man in that position to really own, name, call mm-hmm. out what it is that they're experiencing.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I say this, look, you can call it whatever you call it, want to call it, but <laughs> crisis is a crisis, right? <laughs> right. Um, but but and you gotta, I think what's missing from that conversation a lot of times is the core of what's really happening. And, you know, when you see this guy who's in his mid 40s, hypothetically, go get some red Corvette, he, you know, you know, Starts working out, gets a new haircut, starts yeah. messing up with the secretary. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm categorizing, I mean, generalizing, but right. at the core of that is this desire to want to feel alive, you know, and still push the limits and still be, you know, like, do I still have it? Because, you know, you go to work, you come home, you do homework, you know, you go on the vacation in the summer, then you go to work. You, I mean, you know, you do that for 15, 20 years you know, it can, it can numb you down if you're not intentional. And so it's like, okay, how do I still feel alive? You know, how do I still test the limits of my own strength? You know, and that isn't bad. It's only bad when it's manifest in an unhealthy way, like the secretary. Right. So, so my work with men who are in that phase is really just trying to figure out how to still feel alive and still kind of extract as much purpose out of life as they can, but in a way that doesn't go against what they've worked so hard to accomplish the past 20 years.
0: So how do you do that?
1: Yeah, well, it it just takes time, you know, it really just, I mean, I think it. a lot of it has to do with just trying to unravel how they even got to, how they even got there, you know, Uh, really identifying what Is 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 most important. And what areas of their life haven't they tapped into? They really know a lot of times. You know, when I was 25, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. And they put a lot of mental barriers in place that create the feeling of, oh, it's impossible or oh, it's too late. And in reality, it's actually right within reach. You know, I know guys who are work on Wall Street who are in bands you know, and and so they can do both, you know, it's not them doing anything crazy or, you know, and their wives sometimes are right there in the audience, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, so yeah. it's not like you have to run right. off to, to uh, you know, Costa Rica with the secretary, you know, <laughs> <what I mean? laughs> there's ways that you can, so I think just giving yourself permission to explore other aspects of life, it's is critical. And sometimes when a man hears another man tell him, hey man, that's okay, you know? But how can we kind of move in that direction without putting our families and those we love in jeopardy?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you, you hit on some points. Uh, I, I think some of the behaviors, whether it's the affair, whether it's the drinking, whether it's addiction to porn or whatever it is, to numb that feeling of inadequacy or to numb that feeling of this is not enough for me
1: mm-hmm.
0: it does put whether it's a, a man woman or whoever it, it does put you in that that space where you do have to to really surrender to the idea of being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and feeling uncomfortable when you strip away all the the distractions that that which that's really huge and i you know i definitely agree it is a process but sometimes folks don't want to strip away those those comforts or those things that they are using as a distraction mm-hmm. so how do you how do you encourage someone to really see that in order to do this work there has to be a certain level of Vulnerability, intimacy, and not necessarily with your spouse, but intimacy with yourself.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, for me, it's it's really I did. I mean, you really breaking it down into incremental steps. I think if we move too fast, if, if, what I found is if I move too fast, then it becomes overwhelming, and it creates more opportunity for men to get out of doing the hard work of Mm -hmm. being vulnerable and really connecting at an intimate level to an aspect of their life that they're a complete stranger to. So I I think breaking it down in very bite-sized pieces and once they step out there and they see how liberating it is and how, even though they had a perception of control, in reality, how just out of control their life really was, because they were being controlled by something due to fear you know it's you, you want more like okay if I, you know it's just like someone who works out you work out for 10 minutes and then 20 minutes and then you're like gosh this feels good and then you just get more confidence in that particular area and what happens is it's not just that but others around them begin to notice differences i have countless people who say yeah my. My, my wife, she, she, she can tell that I've really been, you know, because they're just better people overall, but because they never did it before, they didn't know anything different. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm more engaged or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for like, I'm funner to be around, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And so that's just a, the result a lot of times of just being vulnerable, taking that risk, you know, and it happens in phases it doesn't happen all at once but when it does happen not only do you gain the confidence to engage in those areas more but other aspects of your life are also impacted in a positive way
0: yeah yeah definitely so i like the the small increments that that uh, yeah like small doses basically yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't have
1: to go get a red Corvette, you know, right? Right,
0: right. If you want to, yeah, if you want to, you know, I mean, okay. you know, great, but um, but you don't have yeah, to. I, you know, many many years ago when I worked, I was working with a lot of men in the community mental health, and because I was working with so many of them, I decided to start a, a men's group, which at the time was, was kind of It it was a tall order. It was a tall order because there were a lot of men in the group that had some dual diagnosis and you know past traumas and, and so on and so forth. But that piece about being vulnerable was just so huge. And I think that me, because I was the common thread, because they all saw me individually, I think that helped. But I think that over time, and I would have men come in, actually, the group was called Men Mentoring Men. So I would have men come in and, and tell their stories of how they overcame something in particular. And it, I think it was over time that there was the trust that was built amongst the, the, the group and over time where they were able to f- feel comfortable enough to expose themselves. Mm-hmm. But it did. But it did. I mean, this group was an ongoing group that lasted for about a year. Wow. And so I think it really validates your point that it is, it can be a long process. We're talking about dismantling and unpacking and really getting into some core issues that are uncomfortable, they're raw, they're real, you know, because trauma of any sort or unpacking real hurts and disappointments that have really kind of shaped the trajectory of folks and their life and the choices that they make, it's, it's, it's rough.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You didn't get here overnight, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So.
0: Absolutely. Would you happen to have like a case example of maybe someone you worked with and how their journey was kind of this transformative journey for them? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I do. You know, I think of it as one gentleman I work with real successful, super successful but it came at a cost and the cost was obviously time away from his home his wife his kids his family and so it, it, you know it, it wasn't with mal intent you know it was literally just his profession and when he finally kind of got to this this other side his parents had become you know terminally ill And so there was a lot of regret and he, he just didn't know how to navigate that landscape because again, for the past 10, 15 years, it was work, 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 Mm. you know, and you know, he had a supportive wife, but in many ways, he still had a hard time connecting with her because he had spent so much time outside of the home working. It was, it was all foreign, you know, so really like helping him process A lot of what was happening, just the stages of life with his his parents, and just reconnecting with his wife in a way that he hadn't done since he you know embarked on this this kind of business career or whatnot was 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 just transforming for him, you know. And so, you know, just as a therapist, people sometimes surprise you. I mean, this guy would come to, I mean, he'd have notes. Hey, I mean, he was doing the homework. I mean, he really wanted to be in a place to where, you know, he could talk to his wife about how he was feeling, what was going on, mm. some of these concerns. He he wanted to see who he was outside of just work. You know, I asked him like, what do you do for fun? And he was like, well, what, what do you mean? It was like a trick question, <laughs> you know? Uh, again, he, he, he just didn't know how. And I think that mirrors a lot of other situations where it's not about, you know, I don't have the desire to do these things. A lot of men just don't know how.
0: So how would you say, I mean, or or how would you encourage a spouse or a partner to, I guess, create that space for a man, a Black man in particular, to be vulnerable and transparent? Because the reality of it is that, as you said, it's not something that's inherently just there per mm-hmm. se, or maybe it's not. I won't say that because I think early on babies come into the world and I think that there is an inherent vulnerability. Mm-hmm. But in terms of our culture, it was not something that was cultivated. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily. Well, I think that each family is different, but it it it's something that, uh, especially if you're dealing with a, a Black man who grew up single mom, single parent home, maybe dad wasn't in the in the home, or maybe dad was in the home and he was, you know, on his grind and mm-hmm. just things about emotion and expressing emotionality just wasn't in the fore. Mm-hmm. So how do you encourage the the folks that are in relationship with black men to cultivate that? Yeah. Um, Within the context of relationship.
1: So that's a really, really good question. Um, really good question. And every week I get at least two to three calls with uh, from a wife, a girlfriend who says my boyfriend, my husband, he needs to go to counseling. How do I set it up for him? And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work like that. So, <laughs> you know, so so here is this is what I found to be most successful. So one is intentionality. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I mean, we all get so busy with our day, kids, household, jobs, careers. A lot of times we just don't take the time to say, hey, hey, baby, how you feeling? You know, so that's one just intentionality. But in that same vein, don't force it. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's important. Being intentional about inquiring but don't force it. Well, why aren't you opening up? Well, well, what do you mean by how you, you know, like don't force it. Uh, the second thing is I would say, don't don't bring it up. You know, when someone is opens up, you know, about uh, a vulnerable and intimate part of their life, like that's special, you know? You can't be in an argument three months from now and say, well, that's why your boss said, you, you know, you can't do that, right? Because yeah. it said. <laughs> And I'm not saying women do that, but I'm just saying it's happened. You, 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 just, you just saying, you just, saying. I'm just saying, I've heard that, <laughs> but, but that really, and it goes both ways. I tell you yeah. that, yeah. you know, it really does. Like when someone opens up and then you bring it back in their face, yeah. like you really set yourself back mm-hmm. a lot because then when you go back and say, open up, they still remember when it was used against them. Mm-hmm. You know. Another thing is praise it, you know, like in a very real and authentic way, man, I really appreciate you opening up. I really, you know, like we gravitate to where we're celebrated. Right. And, you know, if you see your man take a step, even if it's a small step and him, to him, it may be a big step celebrate that there's because the more he feels celebrated, you know, then the chances are he'll probably do it again. You know, and so that's important. You know, I think a lot of times there's barriers there because I hear people say, well, I'm not trying to stroke his ego. And, you know, and it's like, it's not about that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) if you are trying to lose weight and you go to the gym and lose two pounds, like I'm gonna celebrate that. Even if you don't lose two pounds, and <laughs> I'm still gonna celebrate that, right? Like, hey, man, I really appreciate you like mm-hmm. sticking to your goals and trying to be healthier. Like, you know, like that's we need that encouragement, especially in areas where we're not as strong as our partner. And then I think the the, the last one I would say is uh, allow it to look different. You know, how I process things are different than how my wife processes things, and if I try to get her to process it in the way that. I do then I I rob her of her uniqueness Mm -hmm. and so yes you want him to open up yes you want him to talk through things but in him doing that you also have to recognize that it is going to look different than your girlfriend opening up you know yeah so being able to embrace that uniqueness is is important as well
0: yeah yeah, all great points. All great points. I, you know, I think that to some degree, and just from women that I've worked with, as well as just women that I know and their experiences with Black men, I think that there is still this struggle of, and I think it's as a culture, I think there's this struggle of, How can I be more transparent and vulnerable and open? But at the same time, how can I hold on to this very thing called manhood and still be strong and still be, you know, almost have this street cred to some degree Mm -hmm. or and give off the impression that I can hold it down? I can hold it down for my wife, my partner, my family, myself. You get what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. it's like trying to balance you know these two extremes we definitely don't want toxic masculinity mm-hmm. but at the same time it's not necessarily revered if i'm just so soft you know as a yeah. man you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. so trying to balance this i can i could only imagine could get very heavy very maybe confusing <laughs> at times. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, I, you know, I think it's important not to, and I tell men this, you know, it's important not to live on the extreme, right? You, you know, you, you just don't want to walk around as a stonewalled, I have no emotion, nothing phases me, I have all the answers, because that's not real, you know? But but at the same time, you still need to handle business, <laughs> you know, and when life happens, when you get hit or oh, it's so unexpected, like, yeah, you can say, hey, man, this this really took me by storm, you know, but man, we gonna I'm gonna figure this out. Like, I mean, there, there needs to be a healthy balance of both. And I think typically when we have these conversations, a lot of times we talk about them on the extremes, you know, we like, oh, just open up and just, you know, tell me, well, that's cool. But like, hey, some, you know, <laughs> you're going to need to get out there and, and put some elbow grease in and figure this out. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't worried. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't express that worry. That doesn't mean that you got to do it all by yourself. <laughs> you know, you need to enroll the help of others.
0: It yeah. does mean
1: that, right? And I think sometimes we think, oh, I got to do it all by myself. Well, no, you don't. Uh, but then sometimes we're like, we well, just you, you just can't also cry about it all day either, right? You <laughs> you you gonna have to get out there and and figure some things out. Though it's, it's okay to cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is. It definitely is. Um, but but you know, uh, again, I, I think we also have to just be honest as well too. In that, yes, you want someone to be able to show emotion. And to be able to articulate various emotions, a lot of people I work with don't have the emotional vocabulary,
0: right? I, and the Emotional intelligence.
1: Mm-hmm. How you feeling? I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, and th- that's an issue of, you know, maybe someone suppressing that side of themselves for so long that they don't have the skill to be able to say, man, I'm really worried right now, you know? So yeah, I, I definitely think it's okay too, you know, but I also think it's appreciated and valued in a relationship for a man to be able to be resourceful, you know, yeah. it's yeah. valued for someone to say, you know, like my dad used to always tell me, and I'm not saying this is a gospel truth, but he'd say, Hey, you work three jobs before she works two. You know, if if you need to get out there and put in some extra work to make sure that things are are, are still, you need to be able to do that. But you also need to be able to come on and say, man, baby, I'm just tired. You know, I'm tired, you know, or man, we worried about this. And I think women appreciate that, you know, um, you can't stop it. you just tired, <laughs> you know, or, or, the, or the tears, you know, you, you need to. Hey, I need your help. You know, I'm, I'm really struggling. Help me think this through, you know. Uh, and again, I think that's where the toxic part comes in, because there's not balance You know I don't I don't have all the answers there's many times I go to my wife and i'm like baby I need your help on this, you know help me think this through. i'm a little worried about this, you know and just her wisdom is it can help me navigate a lot of blind spots that if I tried to do it on my own, I would have totally destroyed the situation.
0: Right, right. and and you know, and that's coming from someone who obviously, you're a therapist, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as well as i'm I'm sure you've done a, a certain amount of work, and you do have the language, but I think for you know, I just think that it's an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. And I think that our our ideas about what it looks like, they're expanding, mm-hmm. and they need to continually uh, continuously expand. Because it's not it, you know like you said it's it's not one extreme versus the other or it's it, it looks so many different ways. Yeah
1: I was going to say you know one thing I want to add to that though, and I see a lot of me and run into this issue is we have this role that whether it's from our upbringing or society that says right. you need to do this right. you know but the reality is you have to figure out what works for you and your mm-hmm. family. And I think if you hold on too tight to what society says, what your dad used to say, mm. and it goes against what's working for your family, I think that's unhealthy and that's toxic, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, because the reality of it is that there's just the, the landscape has expanded. It's it's very different, you know, and for some families it may be more beneficial for, you know, dad to stay home and, and, you know, mom to be out on a job that's, you know, nine to five plus um, for whatever reason. And so, and if that's the case, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's uh, as long as that works best for your situation and, and there shouldn't be shame, you know, cause I think that there, at, at one point there was a lot of shame if, your family structure or your family setup or how it works for you doesn't fit this construct or this conventional idea of what a black family should look like. So yeah, I I, I like that. It, it has to be what works best for you. It does. Um, yeah. So talk to me about your own life and dealing with failure, which can really <laughs> take you to some vulnerable spaces. Mm-hmm what did you, what would you identify as a particular life failure or setback that really became the catalyst for a major breakthrough or accomplishment for you?
1: Yeah. And there's, there's a lot. (laughs) I'll tell you that there's really a lot. Um, But I'll tell you one in particular, even just how I came into being a therapist. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, I talked about uh, I was an economics and finance major when I was at TCU. I, really, I was an entrepreneurship, I was an entrepreneurship management major, and I didn't get accepted into the business school. And you just talk about that pride and like holding on to this idea, you know, I didn't tell anyone. And so out of just embarrassment, I said, well, I'll just change it to economics because it still sounds like it's in business, you know? But in reality, it's in a totally different college. And I'm like, I can still be a fight, you know, and again, it's just this embarrassment, right? And you think how yeah, this looks
0: shame. Yeah, yeah, the
1: shame. And and just kind of bring it back to what we were talking about before, a lot of men, you know, aren't open enough to say, Man, I, I met I blew it. <laughs> that wasn't a good decision, you know. And so this put me on this chase to like prove that that I was someone who was was doing well, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so even a lot of the, you know, I guess you could say even accomplishments to some extent were driven from a very unhealthy place. So I changed these majors. I am struggling immensely. You know, I am social worker therapist at heart. Me and numbers, they just don't get along. And so I end up, I, I don't want to say I got kicked out of school, but, you know. <laughs> my grades were pretty bad where I needed to transfer ASAP. Um, right. And so it was, that was really a setback because, you know, my mom was working two jobs to, for me to be a TCU and to, to see that sacrifice in some way, not go down the drain, but kind of because I was trying to uphold this image was, it was just disappointing. You know, I didn't really, I wouldn't, too worried about having a transfer or like flunking out of school. I was really more hurt by the time and the, the the blood, the sweat, the tears that went into trying to make that possible. And so that 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 was that was pretty hurtful for me. And I carried that. I mean, really, probably up until a couple of years ago, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. uh, just this like, man, we could have used that money. We could have used those resources in so many other ways. Mm-hmm was pretty hard. But yeah. but it did open the door for me to really tap into what I believe in, which is counseling. And so mm. that was the breakthrough. Because yeah. I, had it worked, I would have been on Wall Street now.
0: Wow. Yeah. And probably not happy. No. <laughs>
1: I've been making more money though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know all money ain't good. Enough. I
1: know. That's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um and I think that that's a huge piece to to amplify because I think that so many people, so many men in particular are holding on to, you know, setbacks and failures and with a great amount of shame. And and you telling your story really speaks to how long sometimes you can grapple with that and really allow that to define you when really it was just a small snapshot of your life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was
1: years. That was man, a long time ago, but I mean, still just holding on to the, that, that embarrassment, you know, yeah. and but again, that looks different for different men in, in different situations, but I, I know my encouragement is for anyone out there who is still trying to uphold an image to block embarrassment or fear in another area. You got to
0: let it go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So. So as a therapist and as a black man, you know, who has dealt with disappointments, grief and loss, um, feeling anxious or depressed at times, what are your go-to strategies in terms of self-care or should I say soul care? Mm.
1: (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So for me, relationships are important, you know, and relationships take work. You know, it's not just when you need someone. And so I'm intentional on having relationships with people who I can be open with who can hold me accountable. You know, I mean that uncomfortable, like, ooh, you know, type of accountability. Oh yeah. So that's 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 one of my go-to's, you know, keeping just people around me who I mean, I invest in them, they invest in me. You know, they can tell when something's wrong. But then also, you know, I I work out a lot. That helps just clear my mind as well. Uh, Again, I'm a man of faith. So just my relationship with God is important. So just kind of spending that time helps anchor me as well, too. And and just sometimes slowing down. And I think this is where my wife comes into play a lot because Mm -hmm. she's like, slow down. Like, it's okay. It's okay to take a day off, (laughs) you know. And so... Yeah. Being right. able to just hit that reset button is 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 critical for me and just the overall self-care. And then, you know, even therapy and some spiritual mentors, you know, people who aren't as connected as many others, but still know their, you know, can speak life, you know, and can kind of guide me in in certain directions is 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 important.
0: Yeah. Huge, huge. So we are at. The rapid fire part of this discussion. So, first question I also am a book nerd. Uh, so, <laughs> what would you define, or what would you say was a book that really was transformative for you?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Harriet Lerner's The Dance of Anger. Mm.
0: Yeah. What was it about that book?
1: Well, I I think I was in class one time and I heard a professor mention it, and I just randomly ordered it. But it was something about her talking about breaking this dance, this cycle that we do mm-hmm. in relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and really owning that was transformative for me because I think for so long I kept I was operating under this. Well, I'm doing this because you're doing that, and if you right. want this, you know. But really, just kind of taking that ownership mm-hmm. um, was was paramount and. Another book, too, I, I would say just to add to that, it was a four-hour work week. And so the four-hour work week, in that book, I read about Argentina, and that's what inspired me to go to Argentina.
0: Mm, cool. Very cool. So uh, next question, uh, favorite place in the world or favorite destination or vacation spot in the world? Mexico. You
1: Know, uh, and, and the reason being is you know, you can go to Mexico for a fair price mm-hmm. <laughs> and get there pretty quickly, and get there pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, I can feel like I'm, I mean, I am out of the country, you know, but yeah. you know, you get a little passport action, great um, beach,
0: great beach.
1: beach, yeah, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> so that's that's my favorite. I mean, there's some other favorites, but then when I calculate, you know, a uh, 12 hour flight or yeah. Calls. I'm like, uh, you know, you really have to plan for that, but but Mexico, I mean,
0: Very quick
1: I, I, I could kind of go on a quick weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And for the people sure. are nice, you know. And the people are nice. Yeah. Next question, the last time you cried. What was the last time you cried?
1: Yeah. So, if you asked me this 3 weeks ago, I would have told you a couple of years ago. But I had a client who wrote a poem for his dad who had ALS. Mm. And it was on YouTube and he encouraged me to watch it. And I watched it and I broke down because you see his dad in the hospital with ALS mm. and he's reading his poem to him on Father's Day. Mm. And, and I lost my father about a little under about 10 years, maybe nine years ago. And it was some, I mean, you could just, you could just feel it, and I was I was sitting watching it in my office, and I broke down.
0: Wow! So that was wow. about two weeks ago. Wow! And ALS is such a cruel disease. It is. Yeah. So yeah, I th- I, th- I think that speaking um, life in the fact that as a therapist, that a man, that you know, there are moments, you know, that hit you and hit you at a heart level. And sometimes you, it's, it's unexpected. So that was definitely a prime example of that. Yeah. So number four, if you could break bread with three influential black men, past or present, who would they be?
1: That's a really good one. Um, so this is going to show you just how my mind is all over the place. So don't judge. All right.
0: <laughs> Never. I'm, all right.
1: I'm just, I'm just naming it before I throw these names out. You're like, what? Okay. So one would be TD Jakes. Okay. TD Jakes. I feel like he's, he's always been kind of ahead of the game. Yeah. You know, he was taught, he was advocating for women with a woman. there are loose in the early nineties. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I and this
1: is before that. it was popular.
0: Yeah. And some and some might, you know, there was some controversy and like what do you, what does he know about black women in our experience? What does he know? Yeah, <laughs> but
1: to see him put on these conference major for women, black women.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he owned it.
1: Yeah. And and again, in a in a space where that unfortunately was not welcome. Right. You know, yeah. women were silent and you know, so here not only is he, I mean, I mean, so that. He motions. He came out with a book named He Motions. Well over ten years ago, he was talking about vulnerability in men. Then, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: and yeah. and even now, as I see him move across different spaces, um. So that's that's one. And so this next one, this is where I throw you for a loop. Uh, Rick Ross.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. I know, I know. Why
1: Rick Ross? Why 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 Rose? Uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> I just see him do interviews, and I'm just like, he just he just make me feel like a boss. Like I just feel like I need to just put on a suit, you know, like dream bigger. Yeah, I mean, I would just love to. And I read his book, and so to see someone, I'm always kind of admire people who literally started from ground zero.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know so
1: it's not so much him being a rapper or anything like that it's really like here's someone who started from ground zero but is moving in all of these different spaces you know and so though that's those are two and i'm trying to think who would be number three gosh that's a good one it would it would probably i don't know who this would be but it would probably be someone who really um messed up like a, a, a black man that really, and you may help me with this one, like someone who really messed up uh, and for some way or another was able to continue the fight, mm. you know? And, and so I just, I would love to talk to whoever that is.
0: I'm trying to think of some good examples yeah. of that. Yeah, Like really messed up, you know, it could be like, you know, almost kind of one of those, I lost it all
1: type of stories.
0: Mm. You know, nope. Yeah, I, lost, it, lost it all because of their decisions or just
1: lost their it of
0: circumstances.
1: Mm-mm, no, not circumstances. I need. I I wanted to be someone who knows they made a mistake.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, no, this wasn't the market. This wasn't, you know, she did that. No, I messed up. Yeah, yeah. And I had to own that. Mm-hmm. And this is what it was like to experience the persecution that came along with it right and this is how i internalized it and this is how it affected my esteem but this is how i continued doing what i believed and you know was able to change it around
0: i'm trying to think of a good example of that i know there's a lot out there i know there's a lot <laughs> <out> there. <laughs> i just have to think about it but i but i like that particular idea of that image because i think that there's i mean Honestly, we could use someone like Magic Johnson.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Someone who uh, has been very transparent with his decisions, some of his early decisions and the life he was leading and being able to, you know, come forth and tell his truth and still press forward and evolve as a businessman and an advocate, an AIDS advocate, as well as preserve his family in the best way. That's a really
1: good one. Yeah. So if you know magic or anybody know magic, you know, make it, make it happen. But yeah, like him just coming and talking about the infidelity and having Mm -hmm. HIV.
0: Yeah. At a time that that was so stigmatized. There was so much shame about talking about that. And even just at that time, even just talking about sexuality or sex, period. Period. Mm -hmm. uh, Publicly. So, yeah, that was huge.
1: What was that ride like home? You know, know, could you hold your hand at the press conference? But when
0: you You go home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's a that's a great one. So, last question is: If you could curate a message on social media that would go viral, a really profound message, what would that message be?
1: Get off of social media.
0: Mm-hmm. Something for for. Oh no!
1: No, that's the, that's the message. That's the message. That's the message. That's the message yeah. There. Get off of social media. Start living life. Mm. Yeah, I think you know, we, and I'm guilty, you know, but we miss out on life and relationships and just being in the moment because we're so attached to our phones and social media. And I think it we add this undue pressure to ourselves to live up to whatever image we want people to see. Yeah. And, you know, like, imagine if you just didn't watch any news, and you got off of social media for a whole month. Like, what if the whole world did that? Like, what would be your perception of this? Yeah. That. And I think that would be my message. Just spend some time away. It's okay. you not, you really aren't going to miss anything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but if you're always on social media, you actually will miss some things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about just being present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a huge gift to give to yourself and your families, the folks you love. Yeah. So this has been great, uh, Nick, having you today. Um, where can folks find you? Yes. In terms of your practice and maybe things you're working on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of social media. <laughs> 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 yeah. So you can you can visit my website is it's nickhardy.com. That's no case. So it's just N-I-C-H-A-R-D-Y. Uh, you can find me on social media. I'm trying to be more. I'm trying to get better at posting more. But that's on Instagram. It's it's just Nick Hardy underscore, and on Facebook it's Nick Hardy Counseling. Uh, definitely follow. Reach out. Um, you know, I have a blog that I keep up and trying to try to write. You know, trying to get more consistent with that. Uh, so yeah, you can reach out there. In terms of just projects working on. I am working on a podcast um, that, you know, yeah, that that should come out in the fall. Uh, And and
0: what will the podcast, what will it be about?
1: It's it's all things relationships, you know, and I'm taking a lot of the title of the podcast is untherapeutic. Mm -hmm. And so it's all the relationship tidbits that I hear in counseling that really aren't addressed on social media. You know, and Mm -hmm. obviously it's I mean, I'm not disclosing names or anything like that. It's more so situational. But I, I still believe have grave effect on just individuals and their relationships. Um, you know, life happens in the middle, and a lot of what I see is extremes. You know, all all this or do that. You know, and so I want to kind of explore some of those untapped areas you know, mm. of of relationships. And I have a fortunate to have a front row seat just in my work as a as a therapist. And so,
0: absolutely, I can't wait to to hear it. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining me and taking time out of your schedule. This has really been insightful and I look forward to future conversations.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It was truly great talking to Nick today. I thank him so much for sharing his profound insights and expertise on working with African-American men in this ever-evolving mental health space. Please check the show notes for his information. You can connect with him at nickhardy.com, as well as access other online resources for Black men. I want to thank you again, listeners, for your continued support. You know I couldn't do it without you. You can connect with me at interiormotorspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's interiormotorspodcast at gmail.com. So as always, listeners, please be sure to practice great self-care and intentional soul care. So until next time, be well and be blessed.